Even in high school, I think people in school were starting to realise like, oh, that's Cherie. That's like the girl who posts all her meals online. And at this point, my page wasn't even that big, but the word was spreading really quick. People saw that I was literally thriving on this lifestyle. I was eating in so much abundance. I was feeling amazing. I always talked about how my digestion was so good as well. We all kind of went through a phase where we were eating meat. We had no idea about what was going on in the industries, what it, like the impact it had on the environment, on our health. So coming from that and knowing that people aren't educated about it, you have to be super patient with them and show them all the foods that you can eat, educate them about it. You'll see that over time, you'll start planting seeds. At the end of the day, it all comes by leading with example. I don't like to argue with other people or like force other people to do something, but more so educate them and just show them as an example myself of how I'm doing. That's Cherie too. And this is The Proof Podcast. Hey, plant friends. Thank you for joining me for another episode of The Plant Proof Podcast. For new listeners, my name is Simon Hill. I'm the host of this show, And it is on this show that I get to bring on super inspiring guests to help us lead more conscious and mindful lives, lives rich in fulfillment and positivity. This week's guest is Cherie Tu, or perhaps you know her as Thriving on Plants. I met Cherie in Byron Bay, and I've been looking forward to having her on the show to share her story. I find it really fascinating that people like Cherie and Tess Begg, who was previously on the show, are only 20 years old and are dedicating their lives to making it easier for people to eat healthy food. I'm not even 100% sure that Cherie realises the amount of lives she is impacting simply by creating tasty, plant-based recipes for people to enjoy. If you haven't seen Cherie's recipes on Instagram, you need to check them out at Thriving on Plants. Her creations are incredible and it's no wonder she has such a fast-growing and loyal community. So let's give it up for Cherie. One of the best ways to track our health is to regularly get blood work done, so we can take a peek under the hood and get a feel for the state of our cardiometabolic and hormonal health. You can do this with your local doctor, or you can use a service like Inside Tracker. The nice thing about Inside Tracker is they make the process super convenient. You can organize their phlebotomist, a person who draws blood, to come to your house or office to do the blood draw. A few days later, your results show up in the Inside Tracker app, and they provide lifestyle recommendations based on whether a particular test is suboptimal, normal, or optimal. I've checked Inside Tracker's lifestyle recommendations, specifically the exercise and nutrition ones, and I can confidently say they are evidence-based and in line with the information shared in both my book and on this show. They even added ApoB to their ultimate plan, based on recommendation from myself and others. It's also nice to have all of your lab results readily accessible in one mobile app. 
making it easy to pull up past results and see trends and patterns over time. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon for this exclusive offer. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. If you're a long-time listener of this show, you'll be well aware of the scientific evidence that supports a high-fiber, plant-rich diet for good long-term health. And while I certainly believe in a food-first approach, there is a role for supplements to help optimize the intake of specific nutrients and address any nutritional gaps. Enter Emil. Emil is a plant-based wellness company with a series of products to help you optimize your plant-based diet. Two of my favorite products being the Essential 8 Multivitamin and the Optimal Omega Plus. The Essential 8 contains eight key nutrients that plant-based eaters often fall short in. And the Optimal Omega Plus contains a direct source of DHA and EPA Omega-3s, same as in fish, but from algae. In fact, taking Optimal Omega Plus daily, which contains 750 milligrams of EPA and DHA, is equivalent to eating two to three pieces of fatty fish per week in line with the nutrition recommendations globally. To get your Essential 8 and Optimal Omega Plus, head to theproof.com forward slash friends and follow the link which will get you an extra 10% off your first order. That's theproof.com forward slash friends. Cherie too, welcome to the Plant Proof Podcast. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to finally have you in here on this beautiful, beautiful sunny day in Sydney. Yeah, we're missing out on the weather at the moment, but I'm really excited to do this podcast. So yeah, yeah, and I'm I'm pumped to to jump into getting to know you and how you've landed in this place now, where you create so much amazing plant based recipes. You're putting so much information online. And not only that, but you are inspiring in the way that you work out and just the, the, the plant-based lifestyle that you're leading and leading by example. Yeah. Before we jump into that, I know that you're, you're always sussing out the latest places in <laughs> Sydney with vegan menus or new vegan restaurants. Are there any, any new places that I should, should go and check out, maybe the listeners too? Yeah. Um, well, recently I did visit Obine Dining, so that's actually in the city. And I had dinner at like 47 floors up. It was really amazing. So it's kind of like fine dining and they released a vegan menu for summer, which was amazing. Yeah, I got to try the winter menu as well early in that year. So yeah, it's just incredible to see so many new options pop up in Sydney constantly. Also, I think Gigi's in Balmain, they have a new vegan menu, which is incredible, like amazing pizzas and pastas. So you yeah, should well, probably check, check that out. out. I need to yeah. check out both of those. Yeah. Yeah. I think I've seen the, the O-Bar. That's, did you say, is that the one that rotates? Yeah. So that's, it's like a 360 thing. You slowly kind of get a glimpse of every part of the city and the Harbour Bridge and the Opera. Oh my gosh. Like, yeah, that's awesome. So incredible. I guess if, if, if you're visiting Sydney, you're almost, you're, you're getting the experience of seeing the city yeah. and the vegan food at the same time. It so is incredible. Sounds yeah. like one to check out, guys. For sure. Okay. So... Before we, we go into sort of what you're doing today and everything on social media, I want to understand where it all started for you and how you developed a passion for health and wellness in mm-hmm. the first place. Were you born in Sydney? Yeah. So I was born in Sydney, raised here my whole life. Specifically, I've been living in Southwest Sydney my whole life. Yeah. And I wasn't the healthiest kid growing up. I wouldn't say I was unhealthy, but like my diet was kind of 
all over the place. I didn't really develop this kind of interest in health and fitness and nutrition until maybe I was 13 or 14. That's kind of when social media came into my life as well. So I started to get really exposed to a lot of information and both misinformation on the internet. So I think I was on my own kind of like search of wanting to find out the truth about what health really was. Yeah, sure. And your your background though, what 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 is your sort of bloodlines? Yeah, so I'm Chinese, grew up speaking Mandarin in the household with my parents. My mom was born in Qinghuangdao, which is I think 300 kilometers east of Beijing. And my dad's Chinese, well, like blood-wise, but he was born and raised in Vietnam. Oh, cool. So as a result, we had a lot of like Vietnamese culture influence in our family. So I grew up eating a lot of Vietnamese food. Okay. And is that still inspiring you with how you Yeah, of course. Like as much as I did have some Chinese dishes from what my mom made, she actually ended up making a lot more Vietnamese food. So that's kind of the cuisine that I lean towards making and eating nowadays. Yeah, cool. Have you gone and, and visited China or Vietnam and seen where they where they lived? So um, China, the last time I went was in 2004. I was actually in year one. So it's been a really, really long time. Yeah, definitely two for a visit. 2004 and you were in year one. So you're, you're quite young. You're <laughs> yeah. 20. 20 years old at the 20 moment. 20 years old. Yep. Okay, wow. I went to Vietnam actually last year in January. And yeah, that was quite a cool experience. It was only for a couple of days. Went with like another vegan couple. Yeah, cool. Was it was it pretty easy to travel around there as a vegan? Yeah, actually, there were quite a few um, vegan options around. I think using like the Happy Cow app was really helpful as well. Great app, so good. And we were in Thailand before that too, which oh, I loved Thailand so much. Like the food there, especially. Yeah, where'd you go in Thailand? We went to Chiang Mai. Yeah, oh, which is like inland. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was amazing. That's on my list. It's on my list. How would you compare the Vietnamese food? In Sydney, because there's quite a big sort of mm-hmm. Vietnamese food scene, right? In, yeah. What's that area called again? Where it all yeah, is? Cabramatta, Cabramatta is my favorite. Right? Yeah. How would you compare that to, you know, like traditional Vietnamese food in Vietnam? Well, the funny thing is, I feel like the places that we visited in Vietnam to have the vegan food was kind of westernized anyway. And if anything, I actually preferred the restaurants in Sydney with the vegan Vietnamese food. I found that a lot more traditional. I think I just set the bar way too high with what I expected to find in Vietnam with the vegan stuff. Like it was still good, but if anything, I still loved Cabramatta a lot more. So really grateful to be in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so so growing up, you had these these sort of Asian influences, I guess, around yeah. uh, around home and, and no doubt around the cooking and stuff that you were eating as a child. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you have brothers and sisters and, and what was sort of life like growing up and, and, and what was school like? Yeah, um, I have an older brother. He's one and a half years older than me, so we're quite close, um, both in age and just in the sense that we relate to each other with a lot of things. I was always a very active kid in school, so I enjoyed doing sports. Um, In primary school especially, I loved netball and softball, and then in high school I did netball and European handball, and then also participated in cross-country and athletics a lot of the times. Yeah, I was just a really outgoing kid and I loved taking up leadership roles and helping other people. So I think that really paved the way to finding like a career path that worked for me, I guess, if you know what I mean. Yeah, well, I mean, so now it makes it obviously what you're doing now not even really seem like work so much because you're enjoying it for that reason. Yeah, I love it so much. Like it's something I'm so passionate about and being able to help people and influence people. That's something that's always been with me since I was a kid. So, yeah. Okay. So tell me, so dad... Is Chinese, but lives in Vietnam. Your mum's from China. What language was spoken at home? Was it was there a bit of a mix of everything going on? 
or were you speaking English? Well, at home, we always spoke Mandarin, but I think a lot of people can relate to this in the sense that we mix the Chinese with English a lot in a sentence. So I feel like my vocabulary isn't always the best. What's that called? It's like I just say it's English. English, (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, we spoke Mandarin as our predominant kind of language um, aside from English. My dad could speak Vietnamese, but he was the only one who could speak Vietnamese in the house. So no one else did. We just kind of know a few phrases of like dishes, like meals that we ate. How old was he when he moved to Vietnam? So he was born and raised there. He was born and raised yeah. in Vietnam by, it, by Chinese parents. Yeah. So he was born and raised there. So he obviously had the culture there, lived there, um, experienced everything there. And then probably when he was like 20s or I think, I honestly, I honestly don't even know the full background story properly, but yeah, moved to Australia. I think he met my mom in China actually though. Yeah, so. cool. So does he, what, what about him? Does he prefer Chinese food or Vietnamese food? Oh, uh, Vietnamese food. I reckon the whole family prefers Vietnamese yeah. food. Yeah. Okay, cool. So these these years where you you are growing up at home mm. and, and as we've spoken about, you had these sort of Asian influences around cooking. What what was the standard food that was served up at home for dinner for, for you and your brother and your family? So for like breakfast and lunch, for example, I feel like it was very like not traditional Asian food. Like for breakfast, I remember having like bacon, eggs and toast for breakfast. For lunch, for school, we'd have like sandwiches with ham. Um, or there's there's this like Asian, I guess they call it meat fluff that we use in a lot of um, sandwiches and dishes and things like that. It's called rosong. Okay, I haven't seen yeah. that. What's it called? It's rosong in Chinese. But there's even like a vegan version of it now. But yeah, we used to go crazy on that stuff. Okay. Well, I did. What's the vegan version made of soy or something? Um, I think mushrooms. Mushrooms. Yeah, okay, it's, cool. it's really nice. But yeah, for dinner is usually when we would have like an Asian dish. So I remember mom used to make like a Chinese green bean and mince dish, which was my absolute favorite. There was like um like a pork, stewed pork and egg dish, which was really nice too. But yeah, they were actually quite heavy on the meat now that yeah. I think about it. Like, but it was like, like, obviously, there's a lot of love going into that. For sure, from, for sure. You know, I know that particularly Asian families, mm-hmm. um, very, very important to be sharing a lot of recipes as they get sort of yeah. handed down and down and down. Like I remember. Were you learning things like that? Yeah, for sure. Like I remember when I was about to finish, like say the day at school, my most exciting part of the day was going home and having that meal that my mom cooked. So, yeah. Okay. So the Mandarin that you were speaking um, at home, mm-hmm. was that is that the, the only other language that you know or do you speak any other languages? Um, the funny thing is my parents actually speak Cantonese as well, but they don't speak it at home. They speak it kind of with friends and other family. But my brother and I both picked it up as we heard it. So that's something that I understand now too and can kind of speak. On the side, I also learned Korean by myself. So I can speak, read, write, understand it as well. It's yeah. crazy. <laughs> what, do, what do you mean by by yourself? You learned um, Korean. Like I became really interested in the Korean language. And initially in high school, like I think one of my friends came over and was like, hey, I'm watching this drama. You should watch it with me. And I was like, sure. Like I had no idea what this was. And she goes, oh, it's a Korean drama. And we watched this one drama called Dream High and I just got so hooked on it. And the strange thing was, as I watched it, I realized I was picking up these words and phrases really easily. And just over time, just watching more of the shows, I completely just picked up the whole language. So. That's crazy. So this is, so they're speaking Korean, but it was English subtitles. Yeah, correct. So you were able to learn it off that. Yeah, it's amazing. And then 
I eventually thought, why not go a step further? I Googled the alphabet. I completely memorized that. And yeah, I can read and write now. So Wow. Can you say something for me? Like, hi, my name's Sheree or um, something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> that is so crazy. Okay. Well, we're learning a lot about you today. <laughs> I did not know that you could speak Korean. I can barely speak English. <laughs> um, now, you you were so you were sort of growing up with this traditional, I guess, Asian influenced diet at home. There was a little bit of meat in it, and whatnot. What sparked your interest to to look into the food on your plate and look into your health a little bit more? And when did that happen? I felt like because I was exposed to a lot of social media, you know, at the age that I was, like thirteen, fourteen, you come across so much information on the internet, and you don't really know what's true or not. And me being interested in cooking and in health, like I really wanted to venture out and be open minded to trying all these different, I guess, diets, you could say. So at one point, I remember I came across like one thousand two hundred calorie diet. I'm thinking, oh, like if this is the way that I stay slim and skinny, like. Let's yeah. give it a go. Well, you, I mean, so this is when you're like 13. I know, right? like so scary. Like, were you, yeah. were you, what you, you were having sort of body image issues, or were you looking at other girls on mm. social media and going, "I have to look like that. I have to fit this stereotypical, you know, view yep. of what a pretty girl is." Yeah. Well, the crazy thing is, looking back on it now, I was always super slim as a kid, like, and as a teenager. So it's really scary to think that at that time I had that like image of, "Oh, like I need to stay skinnier or even get skinnier than what I was." So yeah, coming across all these, I guess you can say even photoshopped images of people online and seeing what wasn't real and just thinking, oh, like this is the diet. This is the way they got to look how they were. Yeah. Wow. It's so, scary. So yeah. it was almost like you saw all that and then you became fearful yeah. of what would happen if you'd lost, you know, your current body image. And, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Wow. So I was on that for a little while and I was literally on my fitness pal, like tracking every little calorie. At that 13. I had. Yeah. What did your parents think of that? Did they I know? Don't, I don't think they even knew really because it just, yeah, I never really said much about it. I would, I would say like, oh, look, I'm packing my own lunch today. If anything, they might have thought I was being more proactive with making my own meals. But they, yeah, they didn't know that I was in fact like restricting what I was eating and just calculating to the very gram what I was eating. Okay. But um, this was still with animal products in, yeah, in, yeah, in, in in your diet. You just were going on like a bit of a calorie restriction mm-hmm. and you were obviously, you know, paying a whole lot of attention to yeah. all of your meals. Yeah. When, when did you go from that? To mm-hmm. this, you know, how did how did your journey sort of move from there to yeah. the diet that you are on now? Well, the interesting thing is, I think because I was so stuck in this crazy restriction and just feeling horrible from it, like mentally and physically, so horrible from it. Coming across veganism online and seeing people constantly associate the word abundance with it, I was like, oh my gosh, like why do I feel the way I feel right now? Why can't I eat in abundance? So yeah, that so was, like, I yeah. don't need to restrict exactly. And yeah. like I mentioned, I was always so open-minded to trying new things. So I thought, oh, like, why not shift towards this if this is supposedly going to be a lot better for me as well? So, okay. Yeah. And then was that something that you remember having to discuss with your parents and, and sort of say, hey, I'm, I'm actually thinking about not eating animal products? How did, how did you talk to them about that? I remember actually my family went out to eat one day at a restaurant near us. And I remember telling my parents, I really don't feel like eating the meat as part of this dish. And I think I was just picking out like the noodles or the rice. I think they kind of realized at that point that I was kind of slowly weaning off the meat. Yeah. It just didn't appeal to me anymore either because I was feeling quite heavy from it. And then, yeah, I guess you can say a lot of things led up to it, but one day I just snapped and like went vegan overnight. And 
the funny thing is my parents were always very supportive of all of my life decisions. And my dad in particular was like, look, you can do what you want. Just make sure that you're healthy, getting all your nutrients, kind of just as a concern, like out of, you know, being my parents. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. And were you sort of on your own, I guess, in your friendship group exploring all of these different ways of eating and counting calories in a nap as a 13-year-old or were other girls or, or guys your age in your friendship group doing the same thing? I was pretty alone with it, I feel like. I think I was always doing my own digging, always doing my own thing. I never really talked to that many people about it either. I don't know if it feels like a shameful thing or just me trying to figure out if it actually worked or not, but, yeah, it was all me. So. And how have, have your sort of changes, your dietary choice, how has that influenced your, your family, your friends around you? Yeah, well, initially, um, I feel like I think I was only – 15 when I went vegan and I was still in high school and no one in school was vegan. So I was literally the only person, you know. Where did you go to high school? I went to high school. It was like only 10 minutes away from me. So still Sydney Southwest. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no one was vegan. It was this whole new concept, whole new word. Everyone's like, oh, what is this? Like she's just eating lettuce all day. (laughs) And yeah, but over the years, just leading by example and especially related to what I was posting on social media, people became more and more interested in it. And they were like, oh, maybe it's not so bad after all. Look at everything that she's eating. And I even got messages from people that I would generally not have had like a, a usual convo with. And they just jump on and message me or add me as a friend and say, oh, like, I'm really interested in this. Please tell me more about like how you're eating and what you're eating. So Yeah, that's cool. And did you, at that stage, did you sort of think, look, in the future, I'd love to make this more than just a a personal lifestyle change, but actually be an advocate and develop a level of influence from it? Yeah. Like even in high school, I think people in school were starting to realize like, oh, that's Cherie. That's like the girl who posts all her meals online. And at this point, my page wasn't even that big, but the word was spreading really quick. If you've tuned in to the many episodes I've done focusing on cardiovascular disease, the leading cause of death globally, you'll be well aware that ApoB is a better biomarker for measuring our risk of having a heart attack or stroke than LDL cholesterol. The only problem is that not every pathology lab is set up to test ApoB levels. Fortunately, this has now been made easier by Inside Tracker, a leading health and wellness company founded in 2009 by experts in aging, genetics, and biometric data from Harvard, MIT, and Tufts that provides lifestyle advice based on your blood test results. With the new edition of ApoB, InsideTracker's ultimate plan now analyzes 44 biomarkers, including metabolic health markers like HbA1c, triglycerides, and blood glucose, important nutrients like vitamin D and iron, as well as hormones like cortisol, sex hormone binding globulin, free testosterone, and total testosterone, before giving you science-backed lifestyle advice to optimize your health and longevity. Your data tells the story of your health. With Inside Tracker, get to know your story and create a lifestyle that delivers better health for longer. Get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. To get started and redeem this offer, go to insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. That's insidetracker.com forward slash Simon. Hey friends, the scientific evidence on lifestyle habits that lead to longevity is clear. Now it's time to put this knowledge into action. 
I'm excited to announce the Living Proof Longevity Challenge, a 12-week program to build evidence-based lifestyle habits to optimize longevity. My team and I have transformed over hundreds of hours of conversations with experts on aging, nutrition, and exercise into a life-changing 12-week program that will challenge you to develop habits that lead to a longer, better life. This is a unique opportunity to gather health data about yourself that has the potential to change your life for the better. You'll start by testing 10 longevity biomarkers that tell the truth about where your longevity stands right now, today. Following that, you'll get a personalized longevity score to guide your 12 weeks of habit building that will boost your score and improve your biomarkers for the better. After the challenge, you'll retest your 10 biomarkers and see the proof of how powerful these science-backed habits really are. Head over to theproof.com forward slash living proof to download your zero cost copy of the Living Proof Longevity Challenge today. That's theproof.com forward slash living proof. Look forward to joining you on this journey. Do you remember the first few posts that you did and like what, what, what sort were, of content were you putting yeah. up? So I started off with like a lot of fruit platters and then I had my phases, which like a lot of my OG followers will know this, but I had like a massive nice cream phase. And for those who don't know what nice cream is, it's when you pretty much blitz up bananas, frozen bananas until it becomes super creamy and you can add all these different fruits and ingredients to make it like different flavors. Had a huge phase on that. And I think that's kind of what got everyone interested in it at first too. Were, were there any at all like negative experiences or peer pressure or stages like in high school where you're like, you know, because you, you're obviously, you're, you're the unique person what you're mm-hmm. talking about. You're the different person. Was there any stages where you're like, look, I, I'm not, I can't handle this. I need to, I need to abort, go back. Yeah, not at all. Cause I've never given into peer pressure, like my whole life, whatever it was about, I always stood by my own beliefs and decisions. And that's something that I always look back on. And that's something I'm super proud about. Like, regardless of what anyone said or thought, as long as I was like, I stuck with it. I really didn't mm. mind what other people thought. How would you, would you handle if someone sort of approached you and was like, you know, this vegan diet, it's not going to be sufficient in terms of all of the nutrients you're going to get. Mm. You're not going to get enough protein. Like, what what would your response be? I think for me, it was just really interesting because I thought like no one seemed to care about what anyone ate until, oh, like one person went vegan. Suddenly everyone became like a dietitian or nutritionist. It was like insane. The funny thing is I wouldn't get so many comments about like, oh, where would you get this? Where would you get that? But it was more like little remarks of, oh, like you're only going to eat this all day or you don't even have much to eat, like blah, blah, blah. But like I mentioned, like as time went on, people saw that I was literally thriving on this lifestyle. I was eating in so much abundance. I was feeling amazing. I always talked about how my digestion was so good as well. And yeah, at the end of the day, it all comes by leading with example. I don't like to argue with other people or like force other people to do something, but more so educate them and just show them like as an example myself of how I'm doing. Yeah. And, and and that there's another way, right? Because there's probably, mm-hmm. like what you're saying, there's probably a lot of people who were feeling tired or lethargic yeah. and they weren't connecting it to maybe the food they were eating. Exactly. But then they start to see what you're posting and you're talking about gut and they see this different way of eating and they're they become curious and it opens up conversations and then we all know where it goes from there. They start yeah. they start on their own sort of learning journey. I think it's important for everyone to stay, I guess, nice to everyone because like we're not all born vegan at the end of the day. So 
we all kind of went through a phase where we were eating meat. We had no idea about what was going on in the industries, what it, like the impact it had on the environment, on our health. So coming from that and knowing that people aren't educated about it, you have to be super patient with, patient with them and yeah, just show them, show them all the foods that you can eat, educate them about it. And you'll see that over time you'll start planting seeds and yeah. Yeah, it's so true because mm. you, you need to put yourself into their shoes. You've been in their position exactly. before. And if you had someone coming at you, you know, aggressively, yeah, like whatnot, full force, you know, then <laughs> you're, you're less likely to be open to to maybe agreeing that everything that you know may not necessarily mm-hmm. be correct. Yeah. So I completely agree with that. All right. So where does Kai fit into to all of this? For the, for the listeners, Kai's your boyfriend mm-hmm. and I met him earlier this year with you in, in Byron Bay. Yeah. When did you meet him and was he already vegan? So we met in, I think, early 2015. Yeah, it was kind of unintentional in a way. Like we were both in a vegan group based in Sydney. Everyone kind of just added each other and were mutual friends because we just wanted more connections with like-minded people. So yeah, we got in contact through Facebook. We were just having a chat and we realized we just had so much in common and he was already vegan at this point. So yeah, like we instantly connected. I was actually pretty surprised at the fact that I met you know, another person that was vegan at the time. His story was that he followed like an Australian musician at the time, like a guitarist. And there was an interview on YouTube where he was just chatting about everything. And then one of the last segments of the interview, he mentioned like the greatest speech you'll ever hear by Gary Yurofsky or something along the lines of that. And then Kai's thinking, hmm, like I really don't know what he's on about, but let's check it out. And at this point, he already knew that this particular person was always wearing like a vegan t-shirt at concerts and just spreading the message already, but he never thought to look into it. Once he watched that video of Gary Yurofsky's speech, his mind was just blown and just that that ticked it off and he was like, yep, I'm going vegan. An incredible speech. Incredible. Something that I try and watch like every couple of months, go back to it and watch it again because you just... Every time you're just drawn in, it's so compelling. Exactly. And I think it goes to show that every little thing you say, like someone will pick up from it and just like, for example, him watching that interview, just like that couple of seconds of the interview, that was what made him vegan. So, and this musician that I mentioned, his name's Jonah Weinhofen, and we both all follow each other on Instagram, which is really cool. So I've been able to keep up with him and what he does. And yeah, he's a huge activist for the vegan community as well. So yeah, yeah, it's shout awesome. out to Jonah. <laughs> it's awesome to remember that sort of where you got your first spark from. Yeah. You know, so for, for Kai to be able to remember that story and go back and always appreciate what that musician spoke about. Exactly. Is, it's really cool. Okay, cool. So we'll probably chat a bit more about Kai later when we chat about, you know, your shopping and grocery and what you guys, how you sort of prepare food and stuff at home. But I want to I want to dig in a little bit deeper around what you're doing online and particularly the evolution of what you have built on social media. So you said before you started posting, you know, a few things on your Instagram account and, you know, people at your school and others were were connecting with you. What sort of growth did you experience at the start and were you were you getting more questions and more comments and more followers than you expected? How did it sort of evolve Well, I started posting maybe not long after I went vegan. For me, it was like a personal diary. I really had no intention um, for where I wanted it to go. But eventually, as I was posting up all of my meals and recipes, I think people just became so interested in it. Like whether they were vegan or not, they were just like, oh my gosh, this is like amazing. 
I was getting a lot of comments, a lot of questions, like DMs, um, just asking about what this was and why I was eating this way. And I think as my followers started to shoot up at that time, I felt this great sense of, I guess you can say, responsibility to be able to educate people and spread the vegan message and just inspire people to eat more plant-based foods. Um, like I remember in 2000, and I guess it was, was it 15, that I was at about 10K followers at the okay. time, something like that. And yeah, now we're at like, what, 340K. Yeah, wow. So it's just shot up so it's much. Crazy. Since. As I mentioned, it was always like a passion and hobby of mine. Like I really had no direction with it. But as my followers grew, I grew a lot more motivated to post up more content too. So Okay. And and make a make a career, like make a job out of it. It was that wasn't even an intention of mine as well. Like I think maybe years and years down the track. Yeah, like at what stage did you decide, okay, I'm gonna actually dedicate full time to this? And 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 actually turn it into a job, make some money from yeah. it so I can put all of my focus on it. Well, when I finished high school, um, I was definite on going to uni because that was kind of the mindset at the time. I was like, yep, uni, get a job. You know, that's the way I'm going to go with it. And I went to UCID for like literally one semester. Um, I was studying, studying um, a Bachelor of Science and Master of Nutrition and Dietetics. And I think when I went to uni, it was like five days full time, full on. I was still trying to make like YouTube videos, Instagram content, and I felt like my passion lied with all this stuff on social media. Like I constantly felt like I was at the wrong place and I was wasting my time there. And after a semester, I just called it quits and said, look, I'm going to take a little bit of a break because I'm feeling super burnt out and we'll see where it goes from here. And I haven't really stopped since. So, Wow. Yeah. And you're using you're using Instagram and you're using YouTube, right? Yeah. So I've been a bit on and off with YouTube. I think especially when I was working on my ebook. And yeah, I've taken a bit of a break from it, like stepped back a bit. I do want to get back into it this year. So hopefully you'll see some video content from me. Okay, awesome. And so tell tell me about the ebook. What's what's the focus of the ebook? When did you bring it out? Yeah, so it came out, I think, towards the end of April this year. I was working on it for a really, really long time. I just wanted something that was quality content for people. I didn't want to just work on it for the sake of, oh, like people want an ebook, let's just do an ebook. But it was something that I wanted to be really proud of. Proud of. That's why it took me so long. How, um, how long do you think it took you to sort of pull it all together? Uh, I think I was on and off with it. Maybe in the past year, like a year straight was when I really, really put in like 110% effort into it, um, especially the months leading up to it, just constantly cooking, recreating recipes, reshooting photos day in and day out. So yeah, and it just includes all of my all-time favorite recipes. So there's like breakfast recipes, mains, desserts, um, smoothies and juices, just basic staple recipes like granolas as well. For example, like I've veganized like some of my favorite childhood recipes, like my Chinese green bean and mince yeah, recipe. Cool. I bet your parents are proud of that. Yeah. And it happens to be, if not maybe like the most popular recipe in the ebook wow. as well. I get so much feedback on it. So, Okay. So can you take me... I guess a little bit through the behind the scenes. You, you talk about all these recipes that are in the ebook. How much work is it for you to pull this, pull these amazing recipes? If anyone hasn't checked out your feed, I'm going to have the the link to your Instagram in the show notes, and they need to because the food, <laughs> the food is like it's just next level. It's the only way of describing it. But what happens behind the scenes, and what what's sort of involved when you do create a new recipe? Yeah, it's a whole process. So depending on what I want to make, I'll do like a little brainstorm on just notes and type maybe just like a rough ingredient list of what I might need for it. 
And aside from my usual groceries for the week, I do kind of go out of my way to buy some extras, especially for presentation's sake. So it would kind of be like, uh, make a list, go to the shops, buy all these ingredients, come home, test it out and just try and mess around with it and see if it works, present it really nicely. Like the presentation part is just really, really um, tedious because you just got to like place everything very neatly. Like what people usually do is just chuck it all in a bowl, right? Well, which is what I do when I'm not doing all my content. But yeah, you're like, so, so you're like placing a- like a carrot stick really, really like nicely on the side of the plate, for example, or whatnot. So Yeah, which I guess is important. You're looking at that from the angle of more people being able to connect with it on social media. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, if the recipe works out, I just pop my backdrop in a nice like lit area, pop the bowl or plate on, shoot a couple of photos, uh, more than a couple, if anything, and then upload it onto my laptop. And then the editing process comes into play. So there's a lot to it. How long do you think like one new recipe? If I said, hey, Sheree, I'd like you to, to create a new recipe for me today, how long would it take? Oh. From everything from writing the grocery list yeah. and shopping to the, the, the test and the trials, photography. Yeah, depending on how complicated that recipe is, some will just take me half a day to do. Like um, there's some where I've started from say the afternoon and then till it gets dark, like towards where, you know, nighttime hits, I'm like, oh my God, I can't shoot any photos anymore. So yeah. Yeah. Wow. Now, have you got any advice for anyone who might be listening that wants to start food blogging now? Do you sort of have any tips around lighting, props, or the type of equipment that you use? I think for one, it's good to remind yourself that we all start somewhere. Like when I started, I was using my iPhone 5S, just shooting a photo um, in my garden because it had good lighting and then not even knowing how to edit it, like just uploading it like that. And then slowly over time, I was like, okay, I deserve to kind of get a camera. But even then, I wasn't splurging on equipment. Because at the end of the day, you can have the best, like most expensive equipment, but not know how to utilize them. So it's important to kind of get your skills in play. Yeah, I think finding a place in your house or backyard that has a really nice kind of lit area out of direct sunlight, so in the shade is really nice. Find a nice backdrop that works with you. So something you'll stick with for like a theme for your page, whether that's like a wooden one or whatnot. Yeah, just really play around with angles and editing and find a style that works for you. It's something that you have to develop over time. I've yeah, learned that. Yeah. <laughs> it takes a I've long seen, time. I've seen some some people, like if you don't have a good backdrop, you know, Etsy, the website Etsy, yes, you can yes. buy like these vinyl yeah, exactly. vinyl backgrounds and, yep. and you could buy, you know, five or ten and it looks like you've got ten different yeah, sort of like, tables. Just vinyl spreads that you can pop onto the table and just having a range of those around are cool to work with. But yeah, like okay. it just takes a lot of time. And what sort of editing software do you use these days? So I transfer the photos to my laptop and then I edit on Lightroom. And then once I finish editing on Lightroom, I export that to my phone and then I'll jump on my phone and use, it's either VSC or Visco. I don't know how people say, pronounce it. Yeah, I say Visco, but Visco. I think it's, it's <laughs> yeah. sort of... One or the other. Every, everyone says it differently. <laughs> yeah. And then it's kind of like a second editing process. It won't be as much, but I might like chuck on a little tiny bit of a filter. Oh, so it. you find that that actually can improve it from the final Lightroom. Yeah. Page. Yeah. Uh, I find that after my Lightroom edit, that's kind of when I get the lighting and color really right. But when I want just like an extra kind of touch or feel to it, I feel like Visco does it for me. So that's that. And then most of the time, it's pretty much ready to upload from there. Okay. And in, in Lightroom, are you 
using like a certain preset that you then just put across all the photos or is it individual? Yeah, so a lot of people actually assume that I have presets to use, but all of them I individually edit and tweak myself. I just haven't found the time to really find what works for every photo. So I've yet to kind of do that and maybe develop my own presets to have on hand. But for the time being, this is why it takes me so long to edit my photos. They're all individually done and every little setting's kind of tweaked and tweaked and tweaked until I get the right look. So Okay, that's some great tips. Yeah. Now in turn, that's that's the content creation side of things. Mm-hmm. What about the the management of your community? I noticed that you seem to reply to absolutely everyone that comments or, or most of the comments yeah. on the photos that I see you've replied. Are you also replying to direct messages? And second part of that question, how would you handle any negativity within the yep. community? I find it so important to reply to everyone. Um, I think at the end of the day, I want people to realize that just because I have this massive following, I'm not superior to anyone. Like I'm just like everybody else. And just being able to connect with people who want to know more about your lifestyle or who appreciate your lifestyle is really nice. So I try and reply to every comment on my post. DMs I always reply to as well. Like literally, I won't have that many unread messages because they're always being answered throughout the day. And a lot of people actually reply to me and say, oh my gosh, like I didn't actually expect you to. I get the to. same thing. Yeah, they're yeah, like, I didn't crazy. expect you to even say anything to me. Like, yeah. thank you so much for replying. Yeah, so that's pretty cool. I think it's really nice to get that appreciation from people that you actually care about them and care about um, the fact that they're there and watching you and seeing your content. So with the second question, I actually don't receive much negativity at all. As you realize, I'm mainly posting about food and recipes and just inspiring people through that. So it doesn't tend to attract that much negativity. Yeah, like for me, I find that being positive and inspiring people through this kind of content works best for me. So Now, I'd like to jump over to food and a little bit more about the food that you eat and the food in your life. So you you live with Kai, right? Mm-hmm. Do you guys tend to eat most of the same meals and do you have, I guess, pantry staples that you've always got on supply? Yeah. I think because I work from home, I cook most of the time. A lot of the meals are coming from me. Like he will occasionally make something for himself that's super simple. But yeah, we pretty much eat the same foods. He's actually really, really easy with everything. Like I'm, if anything, I'm like the picky eater between us two. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, we actually don't meal prep or anything at the moment. Because I'm home, I just find that it's easier for me to just make things as I go and just have it fresh. Are there any sort of pantry or fridge staples, things that you always have on hand? Yeah. So in our pantry, we always have a lot of nuts and seeds around. So cashews, especially for like my raw desserts and just creamy sauces and things like that. We both love roasted almonds like as a snack. They're really delicious. I actually keep all of my seeds, like my chia seeds, hemp seeds and flax seeds in my fridge just so they stay fresh. And especially after the flax seeds are ground, they're more kind of they're more unstable. Like they, exactly. say, the, they say the fats can go rancid. Yeah, like ex- yeah. when you expose it to heat and light. So I keep that in my fridge so it lasts quite a while. And yeah, we just stick to what's in season, like fruit and veg that's in season because obviously that's, of course, most affordable and it tastes the best as well. And you'll probably find a few sneaky packets of like mock meat or vegan cheese yeah, in our yeah. fridge too. So. Yeah, so you've got to balance it. Yeah. Can you, can you take me through, we're in summer now mm-hmm. in Sydney, take me through you know, this week, what's a regular day of eating look like for you? Yeah. Every morning I start my day with a big smoothie. I find that it's the most refreshing. I generally don't crave oats at this time of the year because it's quite warm. 
So a massive smoothie will be either like a berry-based smoothie or like a chocolate peanut butter one. With the berry ones, it would be like bananas, frozen mixed berries. I've been loving frozen pineapple in smoothies too. I think yeah, it's great. It's in- incredible. So you have to add that in. I'll do coconut water or plant-based milk. I think coconut water is a lot more refreshing though. So I do that. Like I said, hemp, chia, flax. That's like my trio that I can't go without. Always add those three in. And occasionally I'll add like a scoop of vanilla protein as well. Okay. Yeah. Because you're training. Yeah. And we're gonna get we're gonna get on to your training <laughs> yes. in a in a little bit. Okay, so that's that's your first meal of the day. Is that something that you have as soon as you get up or like how how long after you've woken up would you typically have? Yeah. I've always said this to people, but I'm not much of a breakfast person, but I really force myself to have it maybe like one or two hours after I wake up because I find that I just don't have much energy if I don't um, have it. So yeah, I'll blend up a smoothie maybe yeah an hour or two after um, I've woken up because I try to have water first thing when I wake up. And yeah, and then I don't tend to snack much throughout the day either. I find that I like having big meals throughout the day. That's my preference with how I eat. Okay, so what's the next big meal on the cards at the moment? I really love Buddha bowls. And I think you have a lot of different combinations with them too. So like choosing your grain and then your protein, like your good fats and just layering it on with all your favorite ingredients and sauces. So like definitely yeah, a Buddha bowl. The, the combinations are endless, aren't yeah, they? You can always just go through all the different cuisines, Mexican, yeah, Japanese, Italian, exactly. keep going. And dinner, something similar, another sort of... Dinner would probably be similar. Um, It would be maybe like a pasta dish even or like a stir fry with rice, something like that. I really like noodles as well. So occasionally when I'm bothered to, I'll make like a noodle soup. Okay. So if if someone listening is transitioning or maybe they've been plant-based for a while, and they're stuck on ideas. Mm-hmm. They want they want to get a little bit more creative. Yeah. What are, what are your tips for for helping them with that? Well, I think there's two things. So if you're getting sick of like a particular ingredient, think about the fact that there are so many ways to cook that ingredient, and it completely changes the way it tastes in some cases as well. And like a second thing is finding different sources and even like herbs and spices to coat your food with. So say for instance. I like using a mix of soy sauce, sesame oil, a little bit of maple syrup to sweeten as a base for like a sauce or a marinade for literally everything. And then from there, you can build up on it. So let's say you add a spoon of miso and you make like a miso glazed baked pumpkin, which is absolutely delicious. And it's all, yeah, it's all about being creative with the ingredients you have. There are so many different combinations. So have a lot of herbs and spices on hand, have different sauces that you love making and put it all together. Yeah, like you can, I mean, you can steam cauliflower. And that tastes very different to like baking it yeah. into like cauliflower wings with a nice sauce exactly. and dipping it, like yeah, completely different. Yeah. I, I think it's all about experimentation and finding like what kind of combinations you'd want to stick to. So, Okay, cool. All right, fitness. Let's jump on over. I've seen through your social media that you are very passionate about your fitness. You seem to be stepping things up a little bit lately. Can, yeah. you, can you can you run me through what the inspiration is a first, you know, firstly around just exercising in general mm-hmm. and secondly why you seem to have amped things up? Yeah, well, I find that fitness was always the missing piece of the puzzle for me. Like I was eating quite well and really happy with the nutrition side of things, but there was just something missing and it wasn't until late 2016, that's when I really got into training properly because I was at a gym before that for maybe a year on and off, going there on the treadmill, using a couple of the machines, like no real progression or no real goal there. But when I met Kai, I think a year later, I was like, look, okay, 
I've been watching how you, you've been training. You seem to be making really good progress, which I'm not. And I really want you to teach me the basics and just, yeah, from the get-go, start again, just show me what you've been doing. So from there, he taught me how to like deadlift, squat, bench, overhead press. and Okay, so you, yeah. went, you went into the strength training yeah. style of things. And I know there'd be some listeners and that would that may be thinking, female listeners, were you worried about the common question? Were you worried about getting bulky, getting too big? Like, yeah. Was that something that you asked initially? It's, it's something I was never concerned about because I think at that time I was starting to get interested in, you know, becoming stronger and gaining muscle. So I was kind of phasing out of, oh, I want to be skinny. I want to be skinny. Um, and getting interested in this whole new realm of like, oh, what if I, you know, start getting stronger and pairing that with like the good foods I eat, becoming like a better version of myself. I do remember though, initially when I was at the gym and he was teaching me how to do these exercises, I genuinely felt quite humiliated and like embarrassed because I was scared that people were judging me and judging the fact that I couldn't do any of those properly yet. Um, and was that mainly strength or technique? Yeah. So I remember clearly this one time where he was teaching me how to deadlift and it was like a 20 kilo bar with 2.5 bumper plates on each side. And I was like, this isn't feeling right. Like I'm I don't know what I'm doing. And I was just constantly so nervous and embarrassed about it. But looking back, you realize that everyone starts somewhere. If I hadn't had like pushed through that, I wouldn't be where I, where I am now today. So I'm, yeah. So don't, don't be worried about being a little bit vulnerable and exactly. just jumping into it. Because a lot of women in particular message me and say, oh, I don't know how you're always in the gym, like lifting weights. I'm really scared that I'm going to be judged by other people about it. And at the end of the day, most I'll say most people because not everyone, but most people are there for themselves and they're not there to look at others and be like, oh, like what's he or she doing? They're all there for themselves. They all started somewhere and yeah, don't feel discouraged. Mm. Like, But it's good It's good to, if you can, to get someone to show you. For sure. If, if they know can, what they're doing. If that can make yeah. you a bit more confident. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I agree. You need, you need to be, you need to be comfortable where you're training. Exactly. Because if you're uncomfortable, then it's going to be very hard to focus on actually improving from, you know, the exercises that you're doing. True. Because you're going to be thinking about everything else. Yeah. So tell me about the training. Like since learning all of that with Kai, where have you taken it to now? I, I know you've got a coach. How long do you train for? What are you yeah. doing? So initially when I first started strength training, like I was still adjusting to the volume. And of course, we were doing all these compound lifts and it was quite taxing on my body. I was only going to the gym maybe twice a week, but I already made so much progress just from that. And, um, and how long was the session then? Maybe one and a half hours, hours. but also you got to factor in the rest that I was taking in between my sets. So I was taking like substantial rest and that probably adds up as well. Like a couple minutes or? Oh yeah, a bit longer maybe. A bit longer. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So were you feeling super sore the next day, a little bit sore? Tell Mm -hmm. tell me about when you first started, how it felt the next day. Yeah, when I first started, I was just wrecked. Like my body was like, what is going on? Because I was used to just doing a couple of minutes on the treadmill to doing all these like lifts that were just working my whole body and my core and everything. So I felt extremely sore. But once I kind of eased into it and adjusted to the volume, I felt fine and recovery was really great. Okay. And what about your training now? So mm-hmm. what's your program look these look like these days? Yeah. So maybe like three months ago, I got in contact with this guy from my old gym and yeah, he just coaches a lot of people and I thought I'd take him up on it because I felt like at that point I was hitting a bit of a plateau. Like I was really good at what I was doing. Um, yeah, people would always say, oh my gosh, you're so fit, blah, blah, blah. But for me, my own personal journey, I was kind of hitting a plateau, not knowing like where to go from there. So he was like, cool, like we'll sit down, evaluate your goals and see what you want to do. And so I've been with him ever since okay. and it's it's been really good. So well, I do like a push-pull leg split at the moment. 
the volume is obviously hardcore. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's what I do. <laughs> oh, awesome. Yeah, like a lot more volume, of course. But yeah. So do you do you over the course of a week, how mm-hmm. many workouts are you doing? Um, it will be anywhere between four to six. Just depends what I can fit in my schedule. So do you sort of go push, pull, legs, day off kind of thing, or do you go do you just keep going? So if say I was doing four sessions for that week, then I might have, yeah, like a few days in between. And I just continue to continue it. So I wouldn't be like push, pull legs and then push and then, oh, I'll go back to the beginning. It's just, it just, yeah, yeah. it's a push, continuation. Legs, yeah. Pull legs, yeah. But like I said, like I get busy sometimes throughout the week, so I can't always fit them in on the day. But on I average, want to. four sort of Four week. to six yeah. a week. Um, and the way it's structured is that my main lifts, so I've never stopped doing squats, squats, deadlifts, overhead press and bench. They are like my staples. So I always do them at the beginning of my session. And I follow that with all the, I guess you could say, accessory lifts or exercises after that. Okay. When you sat down with your trainer for the first time, I'm I'm assuming that he is not vegan. No, he's not. Was he sort of comfortable and confident with the fact that you were eating a vegan diet and would get the results that you were after? Yeah. So when I first mentioned I was vegan, I was honestly expecting some sort of resistance or judgment towards it. But he was like, oh, yeah, no, that's cool. Like I've actually trained multiple vegan clients and they've done really well. And he was always really supportive about it and all for it. So that was what made me think like, oh, like, great. Like this guy's really respect, um, respectful about it. And yeah, so I'm very thankful towards that. So, and if anything, it kind of goes to show that if I make progress, like he'll see that and I'm doing it fully vegan as well. So yeah, it's, it's another example for him that I'm like thriving on this lifestyle. 100%. Yeah. And then he, you know, he might start to encourage his other clients to, to eat more plants mm-hmm. and you know, that's how that's how other people get in, introduced to the yeah, lifestyle again. Exactly. Okay, so if we just dive a little bit deeper into your training yeah. and what your goals are, are you are you training with any sort of specific intent to 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 put on weight? What's your food mm-hmm. looking like from a I guess a calorie point of view? And yeah. are, you, are you taking any supplements? Well, if we really want to go into it and like, let's go deep. Yeah, see what let's I'm actually deep. doing. Yeah. So after I had a chat with my coach, Hattie, I came to the conclusion that I wanted to do like a little bit of a bulk and kind of see where I could go. So we're bulking. We're yes, bulking. we are. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so we're, I'm in like a little bit of a, cal- a caloric surplus. Um, so I'm having 2,400 calories every day at the moment. Okay. So how do you track that? So I use my fitness pal, but I do it quite loosely. Like even he said, don't be so strict on it. I don't want you to become obsessed with numbers, but it's more so a way for you to be able to gauge that amount. And later on, like even without measuring, know how much you're actually eating. So yeah, I think I wanted to do this because I just wanted to change, I guess. And I wanted to become stronger. And I felt like I wanted, I came to this point where I was just always lean, lean, lean. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I wanted more progress. I wanted yeah, both physique-wise and both um, strength-wise, I wanted more progress. And I thought, yeah, why not try it out? So Yeah, absolutely. And and, and from a, a training point of view, because we just probably missed this bit, but what's your, your rep range that you're sort of focusing on? So I think with my main lifts, like I'll work up to a top set, which is only a couple of reps, but then my back offsets would be anywhere between like five to eight reps, just depending on that exercise. So my back offsets might be like um, four sets of six reps of squats, for example. Yeah, I, they've become quite taxing, but I do yeah, enjoy I them. Imagine. Yeah, I wasn't doing anywhere near as much as this. I like doing six reps though. Like yeah. for myself, I feel like anything below six and, and you're getting the weight up, it, mm. it 
it's a little not too hard, but I just don't enjoy that training as much. I mm-hmm. still do a little bit of it. Yeah. And any I like the six to eight. Anything that's too many reps. Yeah. And I yeah. feel like I'm working out a bit more aerobically. Yeah. Rather than so actual strength. I only do the high reps for all my accessory exercises that come afterwards. So that will be between like eight to twelve or even twelve to fifteen, depending on what exercise I'm doing. But otherwise, yeah. So the also the reason why, like I said, um, my sessions take quite a long time is let's say I'm doing squats in the beginning. I might even spend like an hour or just a bit over an hour purely on squats just because I take such a massive rest between each set. Like it might even be seven or eight minutes on some days. So yeah, that's that's kind yeah, of that the, adds up. Yeah, it does. Okay. What about supplements? Are you are you taking you, you mentioned before sometimes you'll have a protein powder. Mm-hmm. Is that the only supplement that you take from a performance point of view? Yeah. And then also just, you know, everyday general supplements? So when I first started strength training, like from the very beginning, I wasn't taking anything. I knew Kai was taking like a vegan plant-based protein, but I, I never looked into it. And then down the track, as I upped my training, I found that I could benefit from it because on some days you just don't have enough in terms of volume or if you're heading straight somewhere else after, you just want to have a shake afterwards. So I'll take like a vegan protein. Usually like I'll do a shake after every workout. Um, I might add like a scoop of protein in a smoothie, as I mentioned. Um, but that's about it when it comes to training. I don't really take much else. Just keep it simple. Just protein powder every now and then. As a general use, we both take B12. I might do one every week because it's quite like a higher do- higher dose one. So once a week, vitamin D sometimes, but throughout summer, I haven't yeah. been taking that at all. You don't need that today. <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Okay, cool. That's that's what I take as well. I take, mm. uh, I take a vitamin D through winter. Yes, that's and I right. just take my B12s daily. But you know, I've spoken about it before. You can take it daily with a smaller dosage, mm-hmm. or you can take it once a week. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly. It just depends on which one you buy. Okay, what about from a motivation point of view? When are there days where you just feel like you don't want to train? And how, how do you, if you do feel like that, how do you overcome that? What, what is inspiring you to keep going? Yeah, I think seeing and feeling progress is so rewarding. So knowing that that's happening, I just really don't want to stop training. But also having set goals for what you want to achieve is really important because if you don't have proper goals set for yourself, what are you really working towards? And at the end of, at the, end of the day, you don't have that measure of progress as you're going. So whether your goal is getting more strong or hitting a certain number or time for whatever it is that you're doing, it's really important to kind of set those for yourself. And once you hit those goals, of course, you put in new goals and then work towards something even better. And it's like an ongoing process. Yeah, I agree. And, And it's those little goals where you have that little win where you can celebrate in the moment before you set your new ones. Exactly. And that's how you enjoy the process. Yeah. Because sometimes if you're not setting those goals, just human nature and us doesn't stop to actually look backwards. We're always looking forwards. Mm-hmm. You, you can miss some happiness in the moment that yeah. you do that. I also forgot to mention that you need to pick the the training style or exercise that you enjoy. So while I do strength training, you might not find that enjoyable at all. Whatever you find the best for you, that's what you're going to stick with because you actually like doing it. So that's really important as well. Yeah, I completely agree. Because the best form of exercise is something that is adherable, something that you can do. Yeah. Wake up every day and you don't need to look at someone on Instagram who's doing well and is doing a form of exercise that you might not necessarily like necessarily like and yeah. force yourself to do that. Yeah. So that's yeah, that's a great tip. So from 
a personal point of view, what are some of the real improvements, little wins that you've enjoyed along the way since you've started training? Yeah, um, from the beginning. So I did predominantly just strength training and a lot of barbell work, so weights. But I also started to do a lot of bodyweight exercises. So pull-ups, chin-ups, dips, push-ups, they were all things that I wanted to work on as well. And coming from a point where I couldn't even do one pull-up or chin-up and being able to do, I think, eight nowadays, it's just, yeah, blows my mind. So you literally couldn't do one. How long ago was that? This was in 2016, towards the end of the year. Okay, so not that long ago. Yeah. A couple of years. Yeah, I remember I was still using the resistance bands to do assisted pull-ups. So like I said, having these goals in place and being able to look back and measure the progress that you've made from the beginning is really, really rewarding. All right. So initially, this this change in your, your diet, your lifestyle was from a, a health point of view. Yeah. But later on, have you found that you've also become tied to veganism from some of the other pillars like animal ethics and sustainability? Yeah, of course. Like nowadays, I always say I'm vegan for the animals and, you know, the benefit to my health is definitely a bonus. But at the end of the day, it's definitely an ethical thing. So not long after I discovered veganism as kind of like a purely diet based thing, I actually watched this video on YouTube, I think called Farm to Fridge. And it basically covered all the behind the scenes of like the slaughterhouse footage and just what goes on in the industries. And from there, I just really couldn't go back. That was even more of a reason to just stay on this lifestyle because I did not know all this. Like I was eating meat and not thinking twice about where this came from and the fact that it was from a live animal, you know, as funny as it sounds. And I always claimed to be the biggest animal lover out there. And just knowing that I was contributing to this was so wrong. And yeah, from there on, I really couldn't deny it or go back. And aside from the food aspect, so the changes that you've made on your plate, are there any other lifestyle changes that you've made since going vegan? Yeah, well, for example, I think one thing that I really um, find interesting is that I thrift most of my clothes. So even like the outfit I'm wearing today, so the top, the denim skirt, everything's thrifted for like a couple of bucks. And I think- Talk, Talk me through thrifted. Well- In my early days of high school, this actually was when I wasn't even vegan yet. Like a friend of mine introduced myself to secondhand kind of like recycled shopping. So going to secondhand stores and buying clothes that were like recycled from other people, I guess you can say. And I just found the concept really interesting. The fact that I don't have to purchase something brand new and create a demand for this product. And I wasn't thinking too much about it until, you know, obviously once you get into veganism, you look into all these other things like how animals are treated, how humans are treated and this and that. And then finding out the fact that clothing is produced so unethically by most brands, like, wow, you know, I just, I really. And unsustainably. Exactly, yeah. unsustainably. And I thought, why, why also contribute to this as well? So I took it, I guess, a step further, you can say. And I'd say that a good 90% of my wardrobe is actually thrifted. So, wow. so so, talk me through in Sydney, how does that work? Is there certain yeah. places that you go to? So there are stores like Vinnie's and Sours and all that, obviously. There are some that don't have names either that are kind of like opened up by little families or businesses themselves. You just kind of search through. It's almost like a treasure hunt every time because you don't really know what you're going to get. You're not always going to find something, but I find that most of the times where I go, I always... I'm always able to um, find really cute pieces and yeah, it's just really enjoyable. And I, I don't know, even nowadays I find retail shopping super boring. (laughs) Like I, it doesn't appeal to me anymore, but more so I've kind of lost this attachment to things and buying things. And 
oh, I'm only buying that because it's on sale as well. Like I've completely lost that attachment to it. So it doesn't appeal to me anymore. Yeah, because, yeah. It's, it's, it's breaking away from that conditioning. Exactly. You know, we're conditioned. Like, do you need it or <laughs> do you want it kind of? Yeah. Yeah, it's just, it's the world that we've been brought up in to constantly think we need to consume, need to consume, exactly. need to consume. That's interesting. Do you also take your clothes to those places, like clothes that you're no longer needing? Yeah, so funny that you mentioned that. Under my bed, I have like extra storage and I have a couple of boxes of clothes that I've been meaning to get rid of. So Definitely going to declutter and do the same. It's a great way of decluttering. Exactly. Because clutter, I don't know about if this, is, if this is the same for you, but it kind of drives me crazy. It does as well for me. Everywhere. Yeah. And it certainly drives my girlfriend crazy. <laughs> I need to take some stuff down to videos. <laughs> like I can't work in an environment where like the bedroom's messy, the study's messy. So it's another way to kind of make sure you're not buying too much stuff, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I've seen you mention zero waste on your profile yeah. before and talk about it. Can you can you tell me how you sort of were introduced to this no waste, you know, form of, of living and how you're incorporating it into your own lifestyle? So sometime this year, earlier this year, I went to a talk by Bia Johnson. So she's renowned for doing all this zero waste stuff. She's actually the one who really started the movement to begin with. And Kai and I both went. We didn't really know what we were expecting, but we're like, yeah, let's go. Let's kind of um, learn more about this. And we left that night just completely dumbfounded. Like I felt like a lot of the things that she said were things that we knew deep down, but we weren't kind of acting on it. So after that talk, I was just mind blown. I was like, look, I haven't been trying hard enough to um, contribute to, you know, this zero waste movement. And from there, we kind of decluttered, uh, bought a couple of extra jars um, as well. So I do kind of repurpose jars that I buy from, let's say, pasta sauces. What about things like your water bottles and plastic bags or like what are, what are little things that people can do that yeah. make a big difference? Yeah, definitely always bringing your grocery bags on you. And even beyond the grocery bags, having produce bags are really cool. So let's say you're buying apples and you want to... Um, you know, grab like however many of them, instead of grabbing the plastic bags that they have at like, say the supermarket, I have these mesh, like really light mesh bags. So it pretty much weighs nothing at all, but you're not using any additional plastic to get that. Are they like the coconut bowls ones that we got? Yeah, yeah. kind of like that. If anything, even thinner, even so thinner. Okay. quite thin, they don't really weigh much at all. Yeah, just using, um, say even your water bottle that you have on the table right now, just a reusable bottle. I have one like that too. It's like an insulated one. Yeah, so you can your water doesn't heat up in the car. Yeah, it does, <laughs> which is great. Like it is. I great. mean, I've been using the, these for a couple of years now, but I do remember when I was when I would drink out of a plastic bottle. Yeah, you leave that in the car, like in Sydney, and it gets so oh. hot, and you can imagine what's leaching like, exactly from the plastic into the water. It definitely can't be good for you. But it's all about baby steps. Like even when I look at what I'm doing now, I'm definitely nowhere near perfect or doing you know super amazing on this um, zero waste lifestyle, but you do the absolute best that you can. And at the end of, end of the day, it's about being more conscious about the choices you make. So whether it's at home um, with the kind of items that you have at home or even grocery shopping or eating out, you're being a lot more conscious of it. So not having like plastic straws when you go out and drink things. Um, yeah. You start, you start to piece it together. Yeah, it doesn't exactly. have to be overnight. Yeah. And like you say, you start, you know, you do one thing like the plastic bags and then the next time you go and have a, a juice and you, you've ordered it and someone hands you a plastic one, you 
you don't need to hate yourself, mm-hmm. but you're going to be conscious of it. And you're going to go, oh, hang on. Next time I go and get my juice, I can be a little bit more prepared. Exactly. Like having, they have metal straws, glass straws, bamboo straws. There's all sorts of reusable ones nowadays. So having those at home or in your bag when you go out is really useful. Yeah, the preparation is a bit of the key, isn't it? Like yeah. just getting getting a few of these things that can help you be organized so that you don't need to use any single-use plastic, yeah. but you're also not super inconvenienced because I think that's what gets people. They're like, yeah. I think when people start off, they think, oh, it's so inconvenient. I always have to remember this. But remember, it's going to be a habit of yours. It's something you build up and you remember over time. So once you remember to start doing this, it'll become second nature to you and it's not something that will be inconvenient anymore. Yeah, yeah exactly. It's just it's just new habits, new way of living. And ultimately, you know, I'm the same as you in that nowhere near perfect. Mm. But every day, every week, every month, I'm thinking more and more about it, you know, as I go shopping or as I'm consuming, I'm always thinking about it. Yeah. Um, and, and as long as you're doing that, I think you're moving in the right direction. Yeah. And another thing with zero waste is I find that when you lean more towards not buying or creating waste, you eat more whole plant foods. You know what I mean? Um, you're not buying as much processed and packaged goods anyway um, because of this. So that's yeah, so another that's bonus. Like a, a secondary benefit by it is. default. Yeah, it's awesome. Healthier. I love that. Yeah. All right. So coming to the end of this episode, tell me what what's in store for the future of Sharitu online as as thriving on plants and everything that you're doing on social media. Where do you want to go from here? Do you have any sort of projects lined up or new things for 2019? Well, a couple of months ago, I actually signed a contract for a physical cookbook that I'm publishing in 2019. So I think around September. And yeah, that's just Amazing. so exciting. It's always been on my list of to-dos. So when when do you have to have that ready to, or all the content ready? Yeah, it's quite a bit of a rush. I think towards the and uh, sorry, the beginning and the middle of 2019 is when we're kind of pushing and putting everything together because then it has to go and get printed and all this stuff. So it's going to be a busy, busy year. Okay. And are they are they sort of all new recipes that we won't have seen or some of your favorite ones? What's going to be in there? Yeah, definitely for the bulk of it. It's definitely new recipes. Um, the exciting thing is in the main section, there will, always, there will also be like a new kind of Asian exclusive mains recipe section, which I'm really excited about. Awesome. But yeah, like I'll have a couple of my all-time favorites from, let's say, my ebook in there, like the Chinese green bean and mince recipe. I definitely can't leave that out, so I'll pop that in. But for the for the most part of it, you'll see a bunch of amazing new recipes. Okay, I look forward to getting a copy. Yeah, and and maybe even running some competitions so the uh, plant proof community. Oh, that would be awesome! One. I yeah. love that. Okay, for cool. sure. Okay, so just before we wrap up this episode, we mentioned a few places in Sydney at the start. Obar and the and the new GG Pizzeria place in Balmain or their new menu. Uh, is there anywhere else in Sydney that you regularly go to for vegan food? Any tips for for locals or even tourists that are coming to visit Sydney? I always go to Caprimata. So at the end of the day, Vietnamese food is my favorite. So going there for the vegan Vietnamese food is incredible. Um, I think going to World Vegan is probably my favorite restaurant ever. Like I go there and I have the noodle soups and it's literally like $10 for the most massive bowl of goodness. So highly recommend you to go there. And just between the couple of streets in Cabramatta, there's literally 10 vegan slash vegetarian restaurants all around. So um, you'll probably find them even on the Happy Cow app and you can kind of venture out and see which one you prefer. But okay. So he- head to Cabramatta. Definitely my go-to. Awesome. Thank you for that. Okay, so if anyone 
would like to get in touch with you who isn't already, you mentioned before your workout profile, but what is your, what's your main profile? How can people reach you? Yeah. So my main Instagram is thriving on plants and you can literally just DM me and I'll reply pretty quickly. So whatever kind of questions or matters you have, then just yeah, reach out to me and I'll get back to you as soon as I can. Okay. Thank you very much for coming on the show today, Sheree. I can't really uh, understand how you have achieved all this and sort of sorted everything out uh, by the age of 20. Very, very different to where I was at <laughs> when I was 20 years old. But keep doing what you're doing and I look forward to your cookbook coming out and hopefully having you back on the show in the future. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'll definitely be back someday. Cheers. Well, there you go, folks. As I said, 20 years old and super impressive. If you haven't connected with Cherie before, please check her out on Instagram at Thriving on Plants and at Cherie, two C-H-E-R-I-E-T-U for her fitness page and let her know what you thought about this episode. She would love to hear from you. And if you want to send me feedback, I'm absolutely loving the video story reviews that have been circling around, which, which I usually repost. So if you're game for it, upload a video to your Instagram story and tag me with your feedback. I know it's corny, but knowing someone appreciated the episode motivates me to continue to dig deep and bring out more content that you find interesting and and helpful. So that's it for today. I'll see you in the next episode.